Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, Pastor Angie Addy has part four of the series, Close Encounters, with a message titled, All In. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. I hope you are doing so well. Can I, can I tell you something? So here's what's funny about this. Um, I don't know if I've ever had like more encouragement over the last like couple hours or in my life that I have over the last couple hours. And here's what I want to tell you. There is nothing special about the calling of anybody that is up here. It is actually just the same as the calling of everybody that is sitting in the seat right now, because he's called every single one of us, and this just happens to be the place that he's called me to in this season. Um, But I just had the thought this morning, I was like, what would happen if we gave each other as much encouragement about God's calling as I received this morning? Like, we would be able to do everything and anything, right? Just saying. Okay. That doesn't have anything to do with this morning. All right. So we are in a series called Close Encounters, and we're looking at moments where people got up close to Jesus. And Eric said this maybe last week or sometime. The reason why this is so important is because Jesus was God in flesh. He came here as the very representation of our God in heaven. And so if we want to know what a relationship with him looks like, then we better know who Jesus is. So this morning... We are going to look at a story, Um, and to be honest with you, this is probably, for me personally, one of the most powerful and challenging and um, maybe even a little bit uncomfortable encounters with Jesus. And so we're going to look, we're going to jump right in here. We're going to look at Mark chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them now. Um, We're going to start in verse 17, otherwise you can follow along on the screen. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and your mother. Well, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all of these commands since I was young. And looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Jesus, this morning is all about you. And I pray that this morning that you would speak to our hearts so clearly. That Jesus, if there is anything in our lives and in our hearts and our minds that do not line up with you, God, I pray that you would speak to those areas. We offer this morning to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I have a question for you. Has anybody in the room ever been skydiving? Oh, there's a few of you. That's, oh, I'm impressed. You guys are are rock stars. Okay, well, I am not going to tell you a story about when I went skydiving because I am not that brave. Y'all are crazy, whoever went skydiving. So here's what I'm going to tell you about. I did have the opportunity when I was in college to go rappelling. Um, Some of my friends and I were staying at this camp in Georgia and... um, we had, like, they had this rappelling tower there on camp, and so they decided, okay, we're going to go rappelling, and if you haven't been rappelling, basically what it is is you tie yourself to rope and you go over the edge of something large, so either a cliff or, in our case, of a, a rappelling tower, and so they decided they wanted to go at night. Here's what you need to know about me. I hate heights. 
I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. And so they're like, we're going to go repelling. Okay. So some of you, you're with me here. Okay. Thank you. All right. So they're like, we're going to go. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I am going to go repelling. I'm going to conquer my fear. It's going to be at night. I'm not going to be able to see anything. It'll be fine. So then I get there and they're like, okay, well, you can do one of two things when you do this. So you can go up the tower and kind of go down like normal, like where you go down backwards, right? Or if you want to take it up a notch, what you do is you can flip it around and you can go down face first. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I am going to go all in and I am going to go down face first. And so they strap me into this thing and I got, first you have to like climb this big, tall, rickety ladder. And so like I'm in this thing and I'm going click because you got to click in every time with your, with your hooks. So clip, clip, and I'm going up and I'm like, literally my hands are shaking the higher and higher that I get up. Finally, I get to the top and let me just explain to you, y'all, this is a 50 foot repelling tower. And if you jumped out of an airplane or like, yeah, Angie, I jumped out of an airplane, 50 feet. Okay, but it was at night. I couldn't see the ground. This was a big deal. I don't like heights. And so they're like explaining to me what I need to do. And all the whole time, I'm like, okay, how do I get back down? But I can't get back down because then my friends on the bottom are going to see me. And then I wouldn't have to climb down the ladder anyway. This is not good. I've got to go through with this. And so literally, I kid you not, I did one of these. I'm going to do it. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it. No, I'm not going to do it. I probably five or six times. And then finally, I'm like, okay, I get to the edge and you're just kind of standing out and you can't, like I said, I can't see the bottom and you just kind of lean out over it and over I go. Guys, it was amazing. It was amazing. If you ever get the chance to go repelling at night and go face first, I highly recommend it. You should absolutely do it. There's like something really powerful about this feeling like I can do anything. I love it. Okay, so here's the thing, though. If you have ever gone rappelling or if you've ever jumped out of an airplane or gone bungee jumping, right, you know what I'm talking about, where you're standing at the edge and you're like, this is a bad idea. I should not do this, (laughs) right? But here's the thing. At some point, you have to make a decision about whether or not you're going to go for it. You can't really jump out of an airplane halfway. It's all or nothing, right? Could you imagine if you try to jump out of, it doesn't quite work, right? You can't do it halfway. It's all or nothing. And this man who came running up to Jesus that day had that same decision. Am I going to go all in? You know, we don't really know too much about this man, but we do know a few things. His story is actually in three of the four gospels, which means that three of the four gospel writers were like, this is important. Y'all need to know this. So here's what we do know about him. We know that he's really rich, not just like really rich, like extremely rich. This guy had a lot of money. Um, and with that money comes what? Power and status. So we don't know if he inherited it or earned it, but we know that he's got a lot of it. Okay. We also know from Luke that this man is what he calls a ruler of some sort. So he, again, he has some status, some significant influence in his community. Maybe he's a respected business owner, um, but it's actually very, very likely and very possible that he's a religious leader of some sort in this community, or maybe like um, a member of the council of elders. So he didn't just fall into this position. He earned it. So he was respected, and he was very influential, right? 
third thing we know is that he's also young. And so just like today, it wasn't like you could like earn your way all the way up and then eventually become all this. If you've earned all of this wealth and power and influence and respect by the time you're young, that's a big deal. So chances are, this is a pretty good man. And here's what's also interesting. The Jewish community at this time thought that wealth was a sign of God's favor. So this man was probably seen as really close to God. He grew up probably memorizing the Torah and he followed the law and he even says it, right? He's like, I did all the right things. So bottom line, this man had everything going for him. So why in the world would he come running up to Jesus and kneel at his feet? See, men didn't run at this time and definitely not wealthy respected men because you'd like have to hike up your robes and then you show your ankles and it's not really proper right so this didn't happen but this man didn't care he comes running up to Jesus and he falls at his knees and he's in this posture of pleading because even though this man had seemingly everything he could want he's still not satisfied there's something that's still missing He'd done all the right things. He'd been a good man. He had wealth and influence and probably used it pretty well. And yet he still felt like something was missing. Have you ever felt like that? I have. Where it's like, man, I'm making the right decisions. I'm doing the best I can. And it just feels like I'm falling short. Maybe in your marriage or in your finances or whatever the case may be. Like, I'm trying to do the right thing and it still feels like something's missing. You know, I think we expect to feel that unsatisfied feeling when we're making the wrong decisions, right? But when we're making the right decisions and we still feel that way, it's like, ah, come on. What are we supposed to do with that? You know, a lot of times I think we tell stories of people who come and they seek Jesus out and their need is obvious, right? Like they are hungry or they're blind or they're crippled and they need something from Jesus. But this man is different. His need is not obvious. And if I'm going to be honest, that's kind of my story. And chances are that maybe for some of you too, where we have gotten really, really good at looking like we don't need anything, like we have it all under control, right? But the truth is, We all, every single one of us, regardless of whether or not our lives are falling apart or it looks like we have everything together, we need something. We need something. And the truth is that just like this man, there is something about Jesus that causes us to go, I think he's got the answer. I think he's got the answer that I'm looking for. And so this man falls at Jesus' feet and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I mean, that's the question, right? I mean, that's the one that we all have to ask at some point. How do I know that I'm going to heaven? But there's something we have to pay attention to about this, what this man says, right? Like he doesn't just ask, like, how do I know? He goes, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? See, this man believes that his salvation is a result of what he does, Okay, so he's coming to Jesus sincere and going, what do I need to do? Because he's thinking that it's some sort of a transaction, right? Like if I do enough good things, if I follow the right laws, if I do all of these things, well, then I'll be good enough. He's probably done that his whole life. And Jesus looks at him and he says, what do you need to do? What do you need to do? 
well, you need to be good. Like, actually, you need to be perfect. But you already know only God is that good. You already know. He's saying it's not possible for you to be good enough to earn your salvation. Because you can't be as good as God. Even at the height of your goodness and perfection and doing all the right things, it doesn't match to the goodness of God. So what do you need to do? Nothing. There is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation or a way to heaven. But the man doesn't get it. He's like, okay, yeah, but I I did all those things. Like, what else? What else do I need to do? And so Jesus looks at him and he says, well, you haven't done one thing. Go and sell everything. Give all your money away and then come follow me. And the man walks away. He walks away. Man. Every time I read this, I'm like, Jesus, that's a lot. Like, that's not just like a good deed that this man has to do. Like, Jesus, you're asking for a lot. Like, go sell everything? I mean, that requires something. That requires everything. Are you sure? So this man, he comes with this sincere question, right? And it's just not quite the answer that he was hoping for. Instead, what does it do? This question challenges him to his core. And he wasn't willing to let go of everything and follow Jesus because he felt like it cost him too much. And so he walked away. You know, if I'm honest, I really prefer reading stories and even teaching stories where, like I kind of said before, Jesus like feeds somebody or heals somebody and then they go away and go on with their life. But the truth is that this story is really important. Jesus looks at this man and he says, if you want to follow me, if you want the kind of life that you're really seeking, if you want an eternal kind of life that starts right now, are you willing to change? Are you willing to let go of everything? You can have a different kind of life if you really want it, but it actually means having a different kind of life. And I think a lot of times people look at this encounter with Jesus and they kind of start asking, well, is Jesus saying that, that, that wealth is bad and that if I'm rich, I can't go to heaven? Is he saying that I have to give up everything that I, that I want in order to follow him? See, here's the thing about this. This story is, a lot more, or is about a lot more than just wealth and money. It's actually about something much deeper. Jesus looks at this man and he says, give away your possessions and you will have what? You will have treasure in heaven. And he's talking about a lot more than like physical, tangible treasure, right? He's talking about what this man treasured. And this man treasured wealth and comfort and stability. See, Jesus knew the area that this man did not want touched. He knew this this man's heart. Let me say it one more way for you. Jesus wasn't concerned about what this man possessed. He was concerned about what possessed this man, right? We don't think about this a lot. There are a lot of things in our lives that we think are good, that we want in our lives. And the truth is they rule over us. They guide our directions. They guide our decision-making. And we can't say no to them as much as we think we control them. They control us, right? So God is not concerned about the things that we possess so much as what possesses our heart because he wants that. He wants that. And for this man, it was, like I said, it was his wealth, it was his status, What is it for you? What is the thing 
that rules your heart? Is it a relationship? Is it what you consume? Is it what you feed your mind? Is it how you spend your time? Is it your reputation? Is it a secret habit that maybe no one else knows about? For me, as I was preparing, I was thinking, for me, I think it's two things. Um, I think it's what I eat, in all honesty. And there's a second area, I think, that for me, um, Jesus has called me over the last year to, be, to lead in a specific area. And I've just flat out gone, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. It, that requires a lot of me. And I'm tired and I don't want to do that. Sometimes it's not about what we give up. Sometimes it's just about, I don't, I don't want to. Jesus, I don't want to do that thing that you're asking me to. Here's what I love about this story, though, and what's so beautiful about Jesus. Look at verse 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. He loved him. And he said, there's still one thing you don't have. Go and sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Look at Jesus. He's not an oppressive dictator. He is not giving this man a command of go do all these things. What he's offering him is a loving invitation. A loving invitation into a brand new kind of life that actually answers all the questions that we want. And it's an invitation that this man can walk away from. And the same is for us. It's an invitation that we can walk away from. And people do all the time. Because the truth is, just like this man, there are things in our world and in our culture that are really appealing, right? Like, that are comfortable, that are things that we want. And it may not just be wealth and status and popularity and all those kind of things. Sometimes it's just security. But there are things that this world tells us are really, really important. But the truth is, the things in our culture and in our world are not eternal, They are not eternal. We are going to work for something for our entire lives. And guess what? There are some things that are not going to come with us. They're not. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to allow me to change your life, if you want a new kind of life, then you got to let me in. And I've got to have control of these things. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he, it was almost in passing, but he just said something so simple. He goes, Whatever he says, that's what I got to do. Whatever he says, that's what I got to do. And the truth is, if, if I'm going to follow Jesus, then there can be nothing more important in my life than what he says. Following Jesus and the life that he offers us is a free gift, but it does require something of us. It requires our heart. And it requires our trust. You remember what Jesus, the first thing that he said to that man? He looked at him and he said, do you, you say that I'm good? Only God is good, right? Do you, he's, what he's really saying is, do you recognize who I am? Because I'm not just a good teacher. I'm actually God. Do you recognize that? And what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to follow me, I have to be God over everything, over every area. I have to come first. You know, I think sometimes we approach our relationship with God like a kid approaches their dinner, I've got a toddler, and thankfully, he's, he's a really good eater right now, but I'm like dreading the day when I have to put the food on the plate in the different compartments because they can't touch, otherwise they won't eat them. Any kid, anybody got kids like that where like if your food's touching, you can't eat it? I think we approach God like that sometimes, where he's like the gravy on our mashed potatoes, and we're okay with him getting on some of, a, some of things. Like he can, he can get on my Sunday morning, 
He can, he can get on my small group time. Maybe he, can get, maybe he can get on my relationship with my spouse. But all these other things, like these are my peas and carrots. I don't want him touching those. I don't want him touching those. And the truth is Jesus wants to take our dinner plate and spin it all around and get all over everything because there is nothing in our lives that does not belong to him. You know what is so hard and what's so uncomfortable about this story is because it puts me face to face with the fact that there are areas of my life that I don't want God to touch. There are. And I say a lot of times, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I think the cost is kind of high. And Jesus says, the cost is kind of high. You know what I paid? You know what Jesus paid for us? He left heaven and glory and eventually gave his life. And he said, you are worth the cost. You are worth the cost. Paul said this to a church in Rome, in Romans chapter 28. He said, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So what what is his purpose for us? For God knew his people in advance, advance, and he chose them to become like his son. That's his purpose. Jesus did not come to make us comfortable. He came to make us like him. Let me say that again. Jesus did not come to make us comfortable. He came to make us like him. If we're going to follow Jesus, it's about willingness. It's about willingness. Are you willing to give him everything? It's not about wealth. But let me ask you this. If God did ask you to let go of your possessions, would you be willing to? I don't know if he will ever do that. I don't know if God will ever say, hey, I want you to leave this job and go take another one. But if he did, would you be willing? I don't know if he'll ever ask you to get out of your comfort zone. Actually, take that back. He probably will. He probably will ask you to get out of your comfort zone. And in that moment, will you be willing? Will you be willing? You know, Carrington mentioned, we've got baptism in a couple of weeks. And I'm so excited about this because that's what this is all about. It's about saying, Jesus, you paid the ultimate price for me. So I'm going to draw a line in the sand and go public. And I don't care who knows that I am going to be willing to follow you and whatever you say the rest of my life. That's what we get to celebrate in a couple of weeks. You know, when I was standing on the edge of that rappelling tower, everything in me was screaming like, this is not a good idea. Don't do this. It's not secure. It's not safe. In that moment, you have to place your trust completely in the rope that's holding you, in the person that's holding the rope, And you have to trust that it's going to be worth it. And it is. It is so, so worth it. Look at what Jesus said after the man walked away. Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, and he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them because Jesus, and Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter heaven because of how, how tightly our heart holds on to things, right? So the disciples were astounded and they said kind of the same thing. We're saying, well, then who in the world can be saved? How do we do this? 
And Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. You can't do it on your own. You can't earn it. It's about depending on him, right? Last thing that he says, this is huge. Verse 29, he says, I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the sake of the good news will receive now and return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. He's saying, this is going to be worth it. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. He's saying all the things that we think are important now aren't. And if you're willing to let go and to trust me with every area, even the ones that seem insignificant, even the ones that seem like not a big deal, I will make it worth it. Now and for eternity, it will be worth it. And that's the mystery of walking into a life of following Jesus. That's the invitation that we have. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? This is kind of a lot. A couple things, like practical things that I would challenge you to do this week. First of all, if there is an area of your life that you have been kind of saying, God, that one's off limits, that one's mine, write it down. Write it down. You've probably already been thinking about it. So write it down. Spend some time journaling and thinking through what makes this hard for me to, why is this hard for me to let go of? And then the second thing, this is real simple, talk to somebody. Talk to somebody about it. Confess that to them. That's the part that I hate. I don't like telling other people about the things that I'm struggling with. And maybe for some of you, the third thing is registering for baptism and saying, you know what, I'm going to do those things. I want to let God have everything. But here's the thing I want you to ask yourself, wherever you're at with this, is what might God do if you were willing to let him have that area? Like, think about this for a second. What might he do if we as a church said, God, we're not going to hold on tightly to our finances? What might he do in this community if we were willing to be generous? What might he do if we were willing, like individually, to let go and say, God, take this, use it. How might he multiply that? He wants to change this community and he will use us to do it if we are willing to let him. You know, we don't know what happened to this man after this moment. He left, right? We don't know if he went home and thought about it and then sold all his stuff and then came running back. Jesus, Jesus, I sold all my stuff. I'm coming. I let go of all those things. We don't know if he did that. He may have gone home and remembered this moment for the rest of his life. I don't know. But what I do know is that Jesus leaves us in the same position that he leaves, us, leaves this man to wrestle with that question. Is Jesus worth trusting with everything, every area? Are you willing to trust him? The team is going to sing a song, and it's a song of surrender. And so I would just invite you in this moment to just kind of examine your heart and go, God, is there an area that I haven't surrendered to you? Come and be Lord of that area. You've been listening to Angie Eddy with part four of the Close Encounter series. You can watch the online version of this message by going to youtube.com slash Thanks for listening.